1: Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy really Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chatty, host of the story behind the song. Each month, I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome to episode 249 of the Monitoring Podcast with Mike and Mike. I hope everyone is doing well. You were safe, taking care of yourselves, taking care of your neighbors. This highlight show was grabbed from the end of 2017, so we are covering a bunch of topics. um, Nerdy stuff, we go into linear drumming, the old classic paradiddle, three note groupings. We discuss the molar method, the myths, and uh, maybe the fallacies and discrepancies on how to actually use the molar method. And then we go on for a long time talking about how to use backbeats in different odd time signatures. This is a fun episode. I hope you enjoy these highlight shows, and uh, we will see you next time. Enjoy the show. Let's talk drums, dude. That felt like a
1: commercial. <sighs> throw yeah, up.
0: Goodness gracious, what are you talking about? So we're going to talk I'm about, talking about linear drumming. <laughs> talk about things that I've never actually consciously used. <laughs> linear <laughs> drumming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. But that's not to say it doesn't creep into my playing a lot. I just never oh, sat down and said, "Let me play. Let me write some linear groups." That's never once popped up in my head. But. I know that since I practice this stuff a ton that it just kind of falls out naturally sometimes,
1: yeah, and I think also there 's a a weird thing that people think that linear drumming has to stay linear for once you do it, you just have to stay there the whole entire groove or the time you 're playing you know there's there 's little snippets, maybe a half of my measure is linear, and half of the measure isn 't i don 't i 'm the same as you, I actually have practiced. This extremely diligently, but I've but when I'm on the kit, it never occurs to me to be like, let me play a linear thing. <laughs> yeah. um, I just play drums. Some of it's linear, some of it's non-linear. So just to break it down for those of you that are new to the world of linear drumming or haven't heard this term before, linear just means in drumming terms, just means that no two limbs play at the same time. So you'll never have your hi hat and your bass drum play at the same time like they would in your standard pop groove. Uh, you'll never have your snare drum and hi hat play. On two and four, like you would in a standard pop rock groove. So linear means that everything is being hit by itself. Um, And so if you hit the kick, the hi hat, the snare, and the hi hat, and you did that over and over again, that'd be a simple linear groove. Cats, cats,
0: cats, 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 good. How was that? Yeah, you know, it's a good point. You have to (laughs) kind of you make sure that I think the the implication of linear is this like cross rhythm, crazy fills kind of approach, but that's not necessarily what it is. Showed, not at all. Yeah, I mean it, no. when I think of when, when I hear guys talk about linear chops and stuff, that's the first thing I think of is they're talking about these like over the bar line triplets and all this right. kick, you know, all these fills with the kick involved, but right. Yeah, you're right. I mean just a basic disco beat is technically
1: linear. It is linear. Yeah. As long as it's not the four on the floor disco beat, then yeah, it's linear. Um, you know, if it's just kick on 1 and 3, you've got your linear thing going. And I mean single strokes around the kit, they're linear, you know. So yeah. it, it can be it doesn't have to be Anything crazy. I think it's just that how it was brought to us through Garibaldi and Chafee in book format that it was always kind of a complicated thing, but it, it yeah. really doesn't need to be. And I think that if you want to think about a great use, practical application of linear would be just the little snippet of backbeats on two and four that Charlie Watts does. He just doesn't play the highest yeah, with the snare. Yeah and it's just like cool. I highly <laughs> doubt he's like nonlinear, linear, nonlinear, linear like <laughs> I hope he is. I hope that's what he's thinking. <laughs> for for 40 years of beats. Nonlinear, linear. Nonlinear, linear. So, so yeah, so I think that linear drumming is something that we all do whether it's conscious or or subconscious, but then practicing it and finding what I like to think of as linear vocabulary words, that's a Different things. So, as far as this is in the current issue, the um,
0: January issue of Modern Drummer, right? Joel yeah, Rothman. yeah, we have a real kind of basic one-on-one level fundamental article where he just defines linear versus non-linear and just gives you a couple really simple you know, linear beats that aren't. Line, they're beats. They're not fills. So he just kind of focuses on basic right. beats that don't have any limb hitting at the same time. And I don't think he's I, going into like odd groupings or anything like that at this point either. So it's just real kind of basic and that's fundamental the, stuff.
1: That's the best part about it is that I think a lot of times as soon as we throw that term linear at the front of something, then it's this pressure on the educator to make something incredibly insane. And I, what I love about Joel Rothman was it was like this article won't scare anyone away from linear. It will bring them into the world and just be like, oh, I could totally do that. So, like, yeah. It's just, um, and I also really like that in the article, he shows the nonlinear version of it. So if you played both on the drum set, you could hear the textural difference between doing it linear and doing it nonlinear.
0: Yeah. It looks like in most of his examples, it's just a matter of the bass drum having a hi-hat doubling it or not. That's kind of how he Mm -hmm. differentiates it. Yeah. makes a big difference.
1: And that's, I mean, those stacked notes, they do sound different. Bass drum and hi-hat together sounds a lot different than bass drum without the hi-hat. You know, you're putting all that high-end sizzle on top of that low-end frequency. So
0: So in a linear fashion, when you get rid of that, it's pretty cool. I was just thinking about, like, if you said, if you asked me, Mike, do you play linear style? I would say no. But then if you asked me, do you play with... A flow of stickings i mean that's that's how i improvise it's just a flow right. of stickings so and very few right. flams so that is linear because i often end up just replacing one of those rights or lefts with a bass drum so I'm, okay so let me ask you this i'm gonna i give
1: you four minutes to improvise on the drum set percentage wise what do you think the percentage would be of things that stacked on top of each other versus linear notes all played by themselves
0: if I, was, I bet it'd be like 90% linear. If I was playing I mean, like a groove-based solo, it would be mostly non-linear. But if you were just like, just flow, just play, where it's kind of blurring right. the lines between groove and a solo and a fill, it would probably be mostly linear, for, except for the occasional, right. like a thing that I do often is I'll double the right hand with the right foot. Like, that's just a thing. Sure. I'll do a broken pattern right. where those two limbs are locked together, but... For the most part, I'm just thinking this like string of, of stickings that go around the kit. Right. And I bet there's very few times well, I when the left foot is like chomping the same time as a snare drum right. or something. Unless I'm just keeping yeah, time. And I, I mean, that's another... I
1: think we can get into the minutia of it and say, okay, in your standard pop rock beat, four of the notes are stacked nonlinear and four of the notes are linear by themselves. So it's half and half. But I don't consider that to be linear drumming. I, I think we're zooming out at least one step further than that and saying okay looking at this groove does anything hit at the same time yes the kick and hi hat hit at the same time and the snare and hi hat hit at the same time this is now not a linear groove right um, so i'm thinking of it in pattern terms and yeah if you were going around the kit i think most of it would be linear but then there would be these little punches these little stabs that you would hit with you know the right hand in the bass drum and then there would be the Dawsonisms where you're doing kind of the Chris, Dave, right hand, and bass drum kind of play together. Um, yeah, unison. So, I, so I, I consider think, those unisons. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, and I, I think really, if you want to get into linear drumming, it's taking at least a measure of time or a pattern between your hands and feet, and making sure that
0: nothing hits at the same time. Um, now, so, would you my, disqualify if like a, one of my kind of uh, anchors is to just have the left foot play eighth notes? But I could technically still be right. playing linear with the other three limbs would you say that's no longer linear even though it's no to me that's linear with a timekeeper Uh, okay it would
1: be non-linear to me if you were doing that same thing but using the left foot to stack onto a note a unison to create a certain texture but if you were keeping time with your left foot even though we can all agree technically that's not linear because they're going to land at the same time but I see it as like, okay, three parts of my body, three limbs are completely improvising in a linear fashion. And then I'm just giving the audience a timekeeper with my left foot because I have the independence to do so. So I wouldn't say that's taking me out of the linear world, um, you know, unless we we're being sticklers to the rule. But thank God it's
0: art and <laughs> we don't have to deal with that crap. Um, Although I, I think, think it will you know, be a good practice yeah. challenge to sit down and say, I'm going to only, I'm going to improvise and it has to be 100% linear. Like, can you put yeah. that kind of a restriction? I often uh, pick like a sticking, like, I'm only going to play inverted paradiddles and then as yeah. soon as I break from that, I stop and start over. Like, how yeah, long yeah, can yeah. I play a double stroke role without breaking the, the roll? Like, it's a, it's a pretty well, we fun have- challenge. We have a thing at camp where everyone
1: gets an eight-note linear pattern, which is kick right-left, kick right-left, right-left. So kick right-left, kick right-left, right-left, kick right-left, kick right-left, right-left. And they have to come up with a two-minute drum solo only using that pattern. But they can change the rate of speed, they can change the dynamics of each note, they can have it be syncopated. Kick, right-left, kick. Right-left, right-left. Kick, right-left. Kick, right-left, right-left. So they, they can go all over the map, but it has to stick to that linear pattern, and it causes them to realize how deep they can go in something. It's like, why are you learning 2,000 notes when you, you could do so much with eight yeah. or four or yeah, three? Exactly. Um, but I, I think that the one thing that I want to throw out there for people that are starting to get into linear drumming, especially, especially linear grooves. So whether you're working on my book, Linear Drumming, Chafee's books, or... Uh, Garibaldi's book because there's a whole I think there's a whole section in future sounds on linear drumming Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe there's just a lot of it that happens to be linear without it being titled but anyways one thing that a lot of people really struggle with is when their phrase is over and maybe... And the great thing about linear drumming is you can take the groove and then just move it somewhere on the kit and it makes a killer fill every time. Yeah, true. The problem is when you come out of it, you have this desire to hit a crash cymbal and that's going to be your first (laughs) note that you play with that's nonlinear and it'll throw the entire pattern out of whack. And so Uh you really need to practice crashing on the one and thinking, okay, if it was kick, right, left, kick, right, left, right, left, and I crashed on the one with the kick... The next note would have been a right hand on the hi hat, so I got to crash and sweep down to the hi hat real quick. Um, yeah. So I think you know finding those little things and looping it over and over and over again that'll really help people when it comes to linear grooves because what I hear is. My students go, and then they do their fill, flat and sat and pinch, catch, chink, chink, and they go back yeah. to standard groove because <laughs> right. they lost the groove. And I'm like, oh man, you lost it. Uh, so I think that grabbing that little problem and making a new exercise out of the problem will really help when it comes to linear grooves. But definitely check out Joel Rothman's article in the current issue of Modern Drama with Taylor Hawkins on the cover. Then get into the Chafee stuff, get into the Garibaldi stuff, and and then start to open your mind to just listening to it in general. And then you'll start to hear like, oh, that's a linear groove. Okay. And you'll start to see why they have a musical purpose.
0: Yeah. So I guess I go back on my initial statement. I, I, I play in this <laughs> style all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and I love Hot Rods. But I would never put a label on it. <laughs> Right. And I think that that's one thing as somebody that's been very involved in this world, that's exactly how I feel is the whole reason I worked on linear drumming so hard was because I could not have a conversation between my hands and my foot. And linear drumming opened that up to me. I could finally have these patterns that for somebody that didn't have a lot of independence, it was a little easier for me to go, well... You hit the snare, then you hit it again with the other hand, and then you have two bass drums all by themselves while you put your hands up in the air like you're being held up by a gunman. And then you have two more right hands and then one kick drum. So for me, it was just like I just looked at each note. I was like, I'll hit that one and then that one and then that one, and it made sense to me. So once I really had a great handle on linear drumming in multiple subdivisions, I tried my best to forget all of it, and it just shows up when it needs to. And now it's just drumming. Not mm-hmm. linear drumming, not non-linear drumming. I just play drums, and that's that's the goal, at least for me.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's linear is practicing linear drumming is a good way to kind of free yourself up to getting out of the blocky. Like I play a beat, I play a fill style. That's that's what is good value for me. Is it's if if because I, again I think of the sticking, I don't think of the orchestration, and then I just right. improvise with the orchestration. So then I can use whatever, a paradiddle diddle and play it for 10 minutes, but it never sounds like I'm just playing a paradiddle diddle because I'm always just messing with right. the orchestration replacing some of those with the bass drum. I think that's a kind of a key for me to kind of get out of that, like play three bars of a beat and then play a fill that has absolutely nothing to do with the pattern of the beat and then go back to the beat. Right. It all kind right. of stays in the same. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, that might be helpful for you would be to start thinking of whatever you're working on Think of it as, okay, do I have my linear version and my nonlinear version just for a soundscape? So let's say you were doing paradiddle diddle, and you put your right hand on the ride cymbal, left hand stays on the snare, and your bass drum mimics your right your ride cymbal. Right. So ding, da-da-ba-ba, ding, da-da-ba-ba, ding, da-da-ba-ba. And then... You say, okay, I wanna keep that same phrasing, same subdivision, but I want a linear version. So now you replace the left hand with bass drum. And it's daku data gocko, daku data goocku. You still have a paradiddle diddle, but now it's the linear version. And when you start to break things up like that, then you just get these different variations that maybe wouldn't have shown up if you were only satisfied with the nonlinear version. So, um you guys have an article in the current issue of MD about
0: Paradiddle exercises written by was it by Bill Bachman? Yeah, he's our he's our resident guru of all things technique. Yeah, man, <laughs> he's a he's the man. Endless pool of knowledge. So he wrote. I know. Uh, he called the article "Velocity and Energy Shifters." so He's talking about how you go from you know straight eighth note full strokes into paradiddle kind of variations. I think it was yeah. paradiddle variations, but it's essentially an accent followed by a series of double strokes. Mm-hmm. Which it's kind of the way I think of paradiddles anyway. It's really a tool to allow you to play accents within a double stroke roll.
1: That's Good kind point. of how yeah, yeah. I think
0: of it. So yeah. you, you play, t- you know, you put an accent on the first single. You play the second single as a low tap, and then you can just roll. So I think of a paradiddle as being any version of that. You can have a hundred doubles afterwards, but I still think of it as right. some sort of a paradiddle type thing.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean. Two singles followed by a succession of doubles at the same rate of speed.
0: Yeah, right. right. And that
1: first, that very first note is accented. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I mean it. It's one of those things where people don't realize that part of hey, you don't have to stop the diddling so fast. You mm-hmm. know, um, obviously in the paradiddle you only get one, but um, with a uh, paradiddle diddle diddle, that's another alternating rudiment that gives you an awesome thirty-second note groove. Yeah. And you don't, and it's alternating, you know. So you get that left-hand backbeat. Um,
0: so wonder, I, use I can that wonder why they stopped at paradiddle diddle. I guess because you had to just keep saying diddle 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 diddle. diddle. Right. I, I really, I
1: think, I, and I think maybe at the time it was just kind of thought like, well, clearly you know you could do more. And it's like <laughs> yeah. no, really, people go forty years of drumming without knowing that you could have just added one more diddle, and then it would have been an alternating rudiment that fit in four um, four, and the paradiddle diddle always gets treated as like this triplet thing where it's like, I like, I love it as 30 second notes going over the bar line. Exactly. Um, I I use that as a uh, device all the time. Yeah, of course. And, and then I also love that thing. I don't know if you saw it on the Mike's Lessons family, but I put up like a little video saying, Hey, here's the video I didn't put on Instagram. This is where it didn't go well for me. This is what I did for two hours and you got to see the 35 seconds that was flawless. Well, I was, I was trying to make a melody out of 32nd note paradiddle diddles between the um, ride and the tom, you know, and ding da doom, ding da um in that feel. And so, yeah, I, I think that's super useful. The article that Bill's got going on really gets you. What I like about it is that you're doing the accents with slow eighth notes. And then and then you have to jump down as the velocity creeps up. Yeah, so exactly. the speed's going up and your dynamics are coming down. Yeah. And I think that's a really great exercise for people.
0: Yeah. The shifting from full rebounding strokes to a downstroke followed by a succession of low taps. I mean, that's an essential technique. And, and it is. Bill it just kind of you know dissects it and all of his exercises for me when I see it, I'm like, of course that's simple. But then you go to do it and you're like, oh man, I can't bring that first tap man. down low enough, and then you really kind of. No, for me, it's yeah. like a all, every one of his exercises is like a black hole. I'm literally practicing his single stroke exercise. Number one single stroke exercise from his book, Stick Technique, every day for the past year. I mean, it's really? like exercise one, page one. It's just like I haven't gone. <laughs> Do not pass go. <laughs> I'm not Yeah, man. Yet. It's so funny. The, the,
1: the stuff is endless. And you're right. Going from the pages of MD or one of Bill's books or whatever – to the pad it's it's how do you get people to do that because i think what happens is when you look at this whether it be online or in the pages of a magazine you kind of go like just like you said yep i can do that yep it's like okay so you're telling me that if bill was standing next to you right now you (laughs) could do that if you put on a metronome nice and easy 80 bpm here we go one <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> no, you
1: wouldn't. Your hands would turn into just like clubs. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, don't trust that you could do that because I know because I've played my whole life and I can't do that. So, yeah. how you know this stuff is is big kid stuff. You know, it's not this progression of constantly taking on more and more complex notation as as you grow into a more professional player you're constantly going backwards and being like i should have done this when i was nine but i wasn't mature enough to handle it so i yeah. didn't do it and <clears throat> totally. um, and that's what i learned you know back to you talking about the facility and me losing my phone what i learned last night is i couldn't play my songs that i wrote the drum parts for i couldn't play them quiet enough I actually – when I tried to get to the – when I got to the volume that was necessary for the room, I lost the control of the sticks. I yeah. couldn't play yeah, a blind tight. spot. Yeah. yeah, And I and I love that my band is in a place now where we don't have um, Mike Johnston clinician playing with a bass player and a guitar player. We're all on equal musical levels. Um in the room so for them to tear the earth out of me was <laughs> rad like we stopped at one point and like and my guitar player's like do you need a click <laughs> i was oh, like yes wow. no but it was so rad it was like we always make fun of each other and i was like dude i'm so stoked that we're at a place where you can say that out loud is that like, yeah? because man. you were just fighting the dynamics and that was taking up all of your focus Yes, I I could not play with my natural flow at this next step down of of volume. Um, wow. I was I and I also usually um, we're all would up, so I play with in ears. I was I had no ear protection whatsoever, mm-hmm. so I was trying to play extra quiet so I could hear them over my drums. Where normally. I've got th- their feed going into my in-ears, so I could play as loud as I want. I can hear them. Um, so it was it was really fun, but that's, you know, getting... If you can't do it on the pad, you're not going to be able to do it on a drum set. That's
0: true, so, and, and I actually recorded my warm-up routine for the first time, like video recorded it, and as I thought I had this stuff on lockdown, and then as soon as I look at the video, I'm like, man, my stick heights suck. Like, <laughs> I'm letting my... my my downstrokes come up too high. I'm not. I'm, I'm restricting my full strokes so they're like stopping halfway through. And I'm, manu- really? I'm kind of manufacturing the full stroke. And I, like I said, I've been playing that one exercise for over a year. And wow. I, the first time I've recorded myself, I'm like, gosh, all right, back to the beginning. <laughs> Worst drummer ever. But anyway, back yeah. to the paradiddles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your favorite paradiddle exercise? <clears throat> um, well, you want to... Hmm. What I'd like to do with paradiddles is apply them. Actually, with any 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 rudiment or technique is apply them to a musical context as quickly as possible. If that makes okay. any sense. <laughs> what,
1: dude? Are you having a stroke? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I. Uh, well, I mean, nah, it's a paradiddle, and
0: <laughs> I had the stomach fluid two days ago. Okay. Okay. My bad. <laughs> All right. Sorry, let's start I was, over. I was, yeah. So when <laughs> I'm working on a <laughs> Okay anyway the paradiddle works really well to apply to something like syncopation it's a musical phrase okay. or or new breed the the reading exercises okay so i think of the whatever's notated, that is your accent of the paradiddle, and then you just have to oh, you have to just fit the paradiddles within those accents. So it could be a single paradiddle, it could be a double paradiddle, it could be okay, a paradiddle. okay. Diddle. So you're
1: not playing this the standard, you're not playing single paradiddles and then accenting
0: wherever it shows up. It, it might be on a diddle, it might be on a down. No, you're that, saying, I'm saying, okay, whatever the sticking that is most natural to make that that distance okay. between those accents work. So yeah, it would be. A heck of a challenge to just play constant paradiddles and accent. That, that would be fun too, but I'm thinking more what I would actually do if I was playing a solo just, yeah. or filling. So I just aim, you know, I just start the paradiddle or double paradiddle or paradiddle diddle with as many extra diddles as necessary. Yep. So it hits those accents, and that great, great exercise that immediately puts me into like, well, what does a paradiddle do for me in a musical situation? And that is probably my most used application of any rudiment is to phrase accents with paradiddles like that. Okay, so yeah. just take the you know the first couple pages of of the new breed reading or syncopation. Those what pages are those? 31, 33? Thirty one, thirty three. Yeah, I mean the summary starts at thirty six, I think. Yeah, so just start sight reading, and for me that's like okay, now I can use this stuff. I'm not just playing a mm-hmm. rudiment um, over and over again. But on the flip side, uh, when I was at PASIC, I met with uh, the professor, the you know the. Uh, which you would call him. He's a professor of percussion at my alma mater, West Virginia University, okay. and he's been deep in a uh, rope drum kind of study. He's studying ancient drumming and contemporary mm-hmm. applications of, of rope drumming. And one way that they that you have to play the rudiments in order to pass is open to close, which I have not practiced in forever. Going from super slow to as fast as you can gradually and then bringing it back down and he was just explaining why that has always been so important because you hit on every transition of technique within that yeah i could totally see that what he does is he has this he has the students you know rather than just kind of randomly cellarando and each they they just go through each tempo and play the rudiment at that tempo and try to find where's the point when you're you could go from wrist the fingers, fingers like where is your transition point sure. and then just focus on that and try to you know push how long you can just use wrist versus introducing the fingers or make the fingers more articulate so it doesn't start to sound floppy you know like working on those right. transitions so that's that's, awesome. that's something i want to get back into is trying that because it seemed like it was a perfect way i mean that's the way i was taught to practice rudiments but i haven't done it since yeah. eighth grade probably Sure,
1: sure. That's I think that's fantastic. Um, Yeah, it's, it's syncopation is so funny. I mean, every time someone tells you what they do with it, you think you've done it all. I haven't done that one. Um, Yeah, and I was, I mean, the whole time you're talking, I was thinking, like, okay, so summary number one would be uh, 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 yeah, and it's like I've never done that. But yeah. but what's great, and this is what I preach to my students all the time, when you're learning something, don't freak out about when are you gonna use this. The fact that you just said syncopation with paradiddles and paradiddle diddles and double paradiddles, and I was able to do it without working it out is because I practiced all that stuff in, <laughs> right. back in the day. And I wasn't wondering like, you know, I never asked my teacher, well, what's the cool thing? Like, how do you use this? Yeah. You know, jump straight. I'm only going to do a of flaw flaw if you can show me how to rip it on the kid. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, dude, it might, you just might have two alternating flams one day yeah, and it just <laughs> is what's needed. And your powder flaw flaw gave you that. Um, so anyway, so so my favorite paradiddle exercise is probably a little more drum set oriented and it's more of a placement thing. So it's taking any foot ostinato, let's say samba or bio, mm-hmm. and then uh, playing paradiddles and the accents of this, and this is all single paradiddles. The accents are on the toms. Um, so right hand is on the floor tom, left hand is on the rack tom, everything else is on the snare. So as your feet are going, doon chit doom chick doom chit doom you're going, do chit do and it's every bar you then just add in a 16th note rest on the downbeat of one so it just shifts over and just it's just a placement exercise to get used to you play the first bar on the downbeats, then the paradiddles start on the E's, then the paradiddles start on the ands Mm -hmm. and the paradiddles start on the uhs Um, and so you can do that by adding in There's so many easy ways to do this. You could have just a 16th note rest, which is fine. Most drummers aren't responsible enough to handle a rest. And if you give them a rest, they don't come back in where they need to come back in. So filling in all the notes is kind of necessary sometimes. So you can think of it like this. Do four paradiddles. And on the last one, you're going to do left, right, left, left, left. So three lefts at the very end of the last one. And that'll just move you forward in time one 16th note. And then you start, and so it's just a shifting exercise and getting used to the feeling. It's almost just like the gap, or not the gap, the uh, click practice, the offbeat click practice. Mm-hmm. It's getting used to internalizing the ease, internalizing the ands, internalizing the us. And uh, and once I do it, I don't really actually do it one bar at a time. I kind of do it and sit there until I'm comfortable, until I've really explored. Right starting this thing on the E's and the E's are my new thing even though my feet are holding down that original downbeat. And then I just add in that one extra left hand which throws me forward in time one sixteenth note.
0: That's nice. That's a good one. I mean that's that's similar, similar. to something that <clears throat> actually is I guess it's a combination of the two we, were, we you were thinking that my syncopation exercise was to play just paradiddles and superimpose accents. Yeah. That and I do that too where I do like um
1: I don't really have a name for it. It's definitely I don't know I don't think it's what people call the paradiddle pyramid, but it's just going through the paradiddles and shifting the accent of the single paradiddle from the downbeat to the E to the N to the A. Uh. Um, but keeping the sticking the same. Exactly. Consistent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, and I do that over like a samba foot ostinato as well for mm. my students. So um, that's a great dynamic exercise. But going through syncopation, summary number one, and never changing the sticking of single paradiddle, but accenting those hits, <laughs> that would be
0: tough, man. That's worth a try. I mean that, that's. It not, is. I'm sure that's been done before and someone listening is gonna be like, uh I've been I was taught that twenty years ago. Yeah. But yeah, by the <laughs> way, I was six when I did that. Your podcast sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well here okay,
1: let me ask you this. If you were
0: <laughs> Sorry. I do have Little... one I mean there was a it's a totally off topic, but uh Ralph Peterson has a great way of playing syncopation where you always do the elven triplets with the left hand on the second and third note. Okay. But you also add the rhythm of syncopation on top of that,
1: oh nice, so
0: you might okay. be playing so six your left hand's notes in a row going like uh, um and then and then your right hand plays syncopation, No, your left hand just throws the rhythm of syncopation on top of it, so you might play like six triplet oh, notes in a row mean you might end up playing constant triplets it's pretty that's a that's a wicked one. If you guys ever want to see what it's really
1: like back in the day, go watch some basic footage of Ralph, man. He still has my favorite quote of all time that happened on my stage, which uh, when he was here teaching, he said, he said, if you wish someone heard what just happened, you were playing. And if you wish no one heard what just happened, you were practicing. (laughs) Um, <laughs> nice, I like, I like yeah, that. Yeah, man. Yeah, what he was talking about being on a,
0: stage, though. <laughs> no, no, he was
1: talking about being. He was talking about practicing in your practice room, where you kind of think some people are walking past the hallway, so you're kind of blazing your chops because yeah. you think someone's listening in. So he said, if you if you wish somebody heard what just happened, you were playing, and if you wish no one heard what you're doing, you were practicing. Um, and I thought to it, it took me back to doing quarter notes on the ride when I was learning jazz for like two hours, being like, I hope no one hears this because. <laughs> I'm the owner of this music school, and I'm playing quarter notes at 60 BPM, and I'm cussing myself out while doing it. Like, oh, you suck. And I'm like, oh, I hope no one hears this. Um, So, yeah, uh, uh, I was going to say something else about the paradiddle thing. Um, Oh, okay, so let me ask you this. Um, If we were going to do the paradiddle, single paradiddle, and we're using syncopation, we're going to accent that. Mm -hmm. Would you internalize the syncopated rhythm as 16th notes, or would it be as written? I would, would you feel it as 1E, e, a 2 and 3 and 4E, a 1 and
0: 2E, a 3E, e, a 4? W- yes, I would think of written. Uh, the paradills would be played as as 16th notes over the eighth notes that are written in syncopation. Okay. So you wouldn't think of the paradills. Well, I guess I could make it easier and say would you play the paradills as eighths? Or as sixteenths. Yeah, they would be it'd be a bit of sixteenth notes while accenting the syncopation as written as eighth. So if I was here with
1: my paradiddles, you'd be feeling it as bop 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 bop. Exactly. Bop. Yeah. I think it'd be really cool to go bop 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 bop
0: bop 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 Yeah, that would it would turn into like a lot more inverted paradiddles and and like six stroke rolls and stuff. Well, no, because remember you can't change the sticking. Oh, you mean just playing the yeah? Your new insane version of it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm nerding out, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Good luck. Yeah, especially that first measure. Bub, 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 bub. I'm already. I can't
1: even do the. I know the first two notes would be the singles, and then I'm out. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah. Because you
1: got to accent inside the doubles. That's yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) And we just lost half of our (laughs) base. No, let's talk about. rick's article in the january issue about taking basic three note patterns and i think initially when people think about three note patterns it's natural but their mind immediately jumps jumps to triplets yeah and that's probably the one place that i never accent every third note Um,
0: oh yeah just like straight triplets yeah, I, I, it's very
1: rare. I'm going daga da daga da daga dug-a. da. Yeah, it's right. like you know, in that subdivision, I don't hit every third note. Um, I mean, unless musically it was needed. But when I'm practicing threes, it's generally inside of sixteenth notes or eighth notes, or um, you know, combinations of things mm-hmm. like that. So, and that's what Rick's showing right off the bat is, okay, we're used to playing one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a. But if you take this rhythm of one e and a two e and a three e and a four and a four and a uh which because he has those uh 16th note triplets yep. at the end i think what he's showing in this article is something that everyone needs to learn which is how far you can take one idea
0: simple simple idea that's what i love cool. about it it's, yes it's what i try to instill in any lesson that i give anyone it's like look don't ask me for more stuff because there's what you can already do, there's <laughs> do a it. lot of potential there. Like <laughs> uh, so wait, how long have you been playing drums, honestly? Uh it'll be thirty years, actually 30 this, years. this Christmas. And
1: you said you're currently working on playing right, left, right, left. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? You're currently working on singles. Yes. Right? Is that correct? Yeah, that okay. is correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to do with this instrument, man. Like yep. it's 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 endless. Well, you know, one thing I would love to see And this would be a cool thing if if Rick did part two of this article. The current Instagram drummer wants number eight on his exercise. So if you start at one, they want to start with number eight. Yeah, right. Because they want like, show me how cool it is. Well, by the way, I have no idea why every drummer in my head talks like that. (laughs) But anyways... um, what I would love to see is reverse that article. Put the hardest thing first and keep reverse engineering it all the way down to the basics of what made it what it was. Um, okay. Go from the walking human being all the way down to the microbe, in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. in the puddle. Um, just because I, I think that'd be a cool thing to see. Like, hey, this amazingly complex thing is nothing. It's literally one e and a two e and a three e and a four and a four and a and it's like, oh, all that came from that? You know, it would be a different way to teach. Um, it's my concept uh, or it's the concept of show the dessert first and then I can get you to get into the vegetables.
0: Um, yeah, that's, that's not a bad idea. I should recommend it. He doesn't – he actually stopped short of doing all of the extra uh, variations that I think we could dig into now. Like he – right. so the, the article is in the January issue and, and it's essentially three beats of 16th notes and one beat of sextuplet and you can move that sextuplet to the, each beat, and then that you right. know, that shifts your three-note accents in different spots as a measure. That alone right. is a lot of fuel to just...
1: Dude, I love that he moved it to the, you know, not just to different downbeats, the, the fact that he moved it to the and of two yeah, is exactly. really cool.
0: So you have this series um, of, what is it, one, two, three, four three-note groupings in 16th notes, and then you have two three-note groupings as sextuplets. And you just shift where the sex supplements land in the measure, and it it sounds like a totally new vocabulary, but it's nothing but that one one bit of information. And then you start changing
1: the orchestration a little bit, bring in some bass drum, make it a little more linear, and now it's like people can't. So, yeah, I mean maybe something for the future of MD would be reverse engineering the lick. Start with a complicated lick and get it all the way back down to its most basic subdivision with no orchestration and even no accents. Yeah, right. This is where it started. You know, keep taking
0: things out of it. Yeah, because cool he stops that, um, So he replaces the third note of each three with the bass drum, and he moves the first note of each three to the hi-hat. Yeah, And that's where he, that's all the room we had. But you could also then start, all right, well, let's add doubles to one of these notes. Let's add flams yeah. to one of these notes. And it just let's becomes replace one this, of the bass drums with left foot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It becomes this endless, you know, it's, I think you could just improvise with that for forever and it always sound like fresh yeah. ideas.
1: And I think that that's the tough thing for educators to get across. I mean, I I've been, you know, doing this thing my whole life and it's been a double life. I've been a student longer than I've been a teacher and then eventually my my studies became studying the teacher and the delivery as much as the content itself mm-hmm. because I want to improve my teaching. And so I think if I was to look at this thing, I'm actually not learning the lick. That, that's like the surface surface of it. What I'm learning is how deep you can go on anything you come up with.
0: Yeah, And
1: exactly. then it's like it's almost like you know teach a man to fish type of thing. Yeah. This thing teaches me to go back and take a look at everything I've ever learned in my life and think, oh, I could do that same process with everything. Yeah, um, it's and so, being yeah. way
0: more patient. It's for me. I've learned a lot about this from doing a little bit of meditation, just a little bit. And then, because hmm. there's always this point where you're like a minute and two minutes in where you're just like, oh God, can this be over? And then something switches where you get to like five to ten minutes in where time just ceases to exist. Yeah. And that for me, it, it translates directly to the practice room. The first ten minutes, I'm like, okay, I think I've done everything I can possibly do out of this thing. But if I keep going, all of a sudden my hands do something different or I hear it a different rhythm and it just takes it to a whole new level. So I think just the and patience... You don't- you don't think that's the ayahuasca? Or
1: the DMT? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can edit that out.
0: <laughs> my side hustle is the molar oh. method. Let's talk education. Well, talking about something that's been branded to death. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. I mean, it's. And, and misbranded and then misrepresented and oh, yeah. misunderstood. Uh, so I would definitely fall into the category of let's see informed but not obsessed now i'm a teacher and i i pass this on to lots of people so uh two days ago or whenever uh last sunday on mike's we had a lesson on the method oh cool so i so i teach this i've watched jim chapin's video a million times uh what's it called uh uh speed power control endurance um so I've watched that videotape a million times. I've never studied with Jim, I've never studied with Don Famularo, and I clearly am not old enough to have studied with Sanford Moeller. I don't teach it as passing off Jim Chapin's teachings verbatim. What I did was I watched Jim's video, I practiced along to it as a kid, as a teenager, and as an adult, and then I just started to reverse engineer the process for myself try to figure out how would I explain this if this was something brand new, and then that's how I teach it. So for me, what I got out of the the molar method was that it's multiple techniques to achieve a grouping of strokes mm. uh, okay. instead of using the exact same <clears throat> technique. to get, If you're going to get four strokes and you had to, like as Jojo Mayer explains, it, if you had to hit the stick down and then pull it up on your own you're going to make eight strokes to get four notes Mm -hmm. that makes no sense and the molar method gives me four strokes to get four notes so it's the most efficient way to play Um, and then inside that i teach the three molar strokes
0: that are inside of it what about you do you first of all do you teach it or did you just study it uh i mean i i I teach it but i just kind of wrap it up into just relaxed technique natural technique i don't um because i don't know i don't use like the molar method i think it's it's more of a – if you want to play three notes in a row and the first one has an accent, you're going to have to let your body do it kind of naturally. And I think of it right. – for me, it's just a matter of I have an accent and then taps, and then during the taps, the arm is preparing for the next accent. Right. You it's just a, gotta, yeah, it's kind of like a reset. Yeah, you just got to figure out what does your body need to do to make that happen. The, the elbow has to come out. The, the, the wrist has to lift while you're tapping but it's all one motion. But I think right. that's, anyone who teaches good technique, that's kind of what you're going to fall into naturally.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, if you think about this, any time I've had an advanced student that had never even heard of this, they were already doing it. Mm-hmm. So as you try to play, especially if you grow up playing any sort of jazz and you get into the up-tempo thing right. and your wrist is going ding, diga-ding, 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 a ding you know, and it's like, and, and you can't make it quiet enough. And then all of a sudden, there's this motion, this whipping motion, and then your fingers get involved a little bit, and it goes zick-a-ding, zick yeah. And the other thing is, as you're playing those songs, you're looking up videos of Max Roach and of Tony Williams, and you're like, well, they're not stressing out. and They're going right. 40 BPM faster than mm-hmm, I am. Yeah. There must be a technique involved here. So I think <laughs> it's going to naturally happen. The biggest thing, I think, in that you're going to get out of learning the molar method would be releasing your fingers after that first whipping motion or, the, or just your downstroke mm-hmm. because generally most people hit that downstroke and then try to keep the stick flat and, and it. leave it yeah. there. It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. And allowing it to come back up and rebound through the fingers, which leaves, in, when I'm playing, leaves my fingers open to then pull down like a grip, like a pistol grip and throw it down again. I don't, I don't let the stick come up just through my wrist. I actually let my fingers loose a little bit, and then mm-hmm. I can pull my fingers down. Um, and I think that that's what you get out of studying these methods. By the way, we're re- uh, referring to an article written by Klaus Hessler, who might have some of the most phenomenal technique on the planet right yeah. now,
0: so yeah. he's definitely an authority exactly. on this. The article is called um, Molar Through the Chapin Lens, so it's, it's the molar method via the lessons that Klaus learned. From Jim Chapin's lessons, and he also worked with Don Famularo. So Klaus is definitely connected to the lineage of the Muller method directly. Right. Uh, the article is pretty simple, but it has four just basic exercises that I think, if you're new to this idea of getting multiple notes from one arm wrist motion, right. it kind of has it all there. You don't need to like get a whole book on this at this point. You know, it's just good introductory Agreed. exercises. <laughs> Um, Well, the thing is, like any snare method book, you
1: know, or or just stick control in general can be a molar book, depending on how you practice it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk some uh, education. Let's talk about backbeats and odd time signatures. This is in reference to Joel Rothman's article in the February issue. And in this, he's really using three, four as the main example. And I love this because I have not a debate, but I definitely have a moment of every camp that I teach where we we do a little class called 3, 4, or 6, 8. Yeah. And the backbeat is really what determines what we're feeling because the mathematics – the mathematics – the math works out the same. 6, 8, and 3, 4, it's the same thing. So it's really that backbeat that determines it and the feel. Uh, and he he mentions in the article that in 4, 4, and 6, eight, twelve, eight, 12, uh, and – you know, we have standardized backbeats. It's two and four. Mm. divided in half. Yep. And then in three, four, it really can go anywhere. One of my favorite three, four songs, uh, Dance Into the Light by Phil Collins, he puts snare on all three chord notes. Cat, cat, three, cat, 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 cat. Yeah, you do really realize notes the whole thing. Yeah. Right. And then there's cinematic orchestra songs that put it on. It's like really slow three. One, tick ticka, ticka, two, tick tick ticka, three, one three. And it's way on that three And it feels like it takes forever to get through Such a short time signature mm-hmm. uh, Do you have a standard place? Are
0: you a two in three? Or are you a three in three backbeat person? I've never thought about it. I mean, I kind of tend to avoid the the waltz feel of putting the backbeat on two and also two and on three. three. Yeah. Although there's that Mars Volta track. I think it's the first song off the first record where it's just crushing with that feel. I, I mean, it's yeah. badass, but I very I think it, rarely I think do that. I think that, that, to me, is a tempo
1: thing. Once I get to boom, cat, cat, boom, cat, cat, then I'm out, right? Um, but yeah, if it's cat cat cat, 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 then I wouldn't mind it at all.
0: But once we're at, mm-hmm. Cat, cat, mm-hmm. what do I do? Let's see. <laughs> Everybody at home, needs I probably ear drumming hit B right more often. But it, it entirely depends on the bass line and where the chord right. changes. The yeah, song is entirely, what's determining yeah.
1: that thing. I totally agree, and that's what's such a weird thing is that in four four, really we don't move the backbeat that much. I mean, look at what happened when. You know, Clyde and Jabo moved the backbeat. Yeah, I was like, revolutionary. Hey. Yeah, and white people all <laughs> over the world fell down. They're like, I don't know what to do here. And so that, we don't really mess with the backbeat. Uh, maybe a little surf music, we put in an extra backbeat boom, cat, cat, do ket, doom, cat. But there's not a lot of songs that go doom, ket, doom, ket,
0: doom, ket, Although that's dope, and I'm going to record that's my next YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, yeah not really. I mean, kind of like the Bo Diddley beat or the Mercy beat. Right, they're using syncopation, but yeah, I think you're right. right. It's, it's always as a departure point from the expected backbeat on two and four. Yeah,
1: but it's I. You know what's weird is in the eights, like in seven eight nine eight. I generally play four four, and I'm either subtracting or adding eighth notes. In 3-4, it really is wide open. The backbeat is the most wide open thing. I don't mm-hmm. mind putting the backbeat on one. Cat. Cat. That wouldn't bother me at all. So it's it's a weird thing in 3-4. That's why I really love that Joel picked 3-4 to base this article on. It's
0: actually my favorite time signature. I love playing really... 3 because because it's so open. You can imply different fields. You can shift into the 6-8, and it just sounds yeah. like you're playing a delayed backbeat. I do it all the time. A lot of times, if I'm playing a groove that has a three feel, when I play fills, it'll be in the six feel because it just oh it automatically nice. superimposes a different language, a different you know repertoire. Mm-hmm. I and love you three, could four. even
1: in a musical situation, you could have the bridge of a three-four song be in six-eight. and You guys don't have to change anything tempo-wise, or yeah, it's exactly. just a feel. It just kind of can go into this halftime feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, it. and in his article, I mean he starts off really basic with the eighth note vibes, um, putting it on three. I think he's got one and or I'm sorry, put it on two, one and two and three. And yeah, one two, and, two and, then
0: three, and, and then three and then two and three. And then he starts exactly. breaking it up, which that's for me where the fun becomes. When you make the first back beat on the and of one and the second back beat on three, that's kind of like a displaced six eight. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, one it's... and two
1: and three and one and two. Yeah, that's hot, man. Yes, yeah, super uh, and, fun. And then uh, he starts bringing in the sixteenth notes, and you get that really cool stuff. Um, yeah, I think three four is definitely something that people generally need a musical representation for it, so they can kind of go, okay that's three, four. And then this thing, that's six, eight. And you almost have to hear it that way in the beginning for a while. Um, and I think it's, you know, something that we grow up with learning it really early on. And then we just totally take it for granted that everyone can hear the difference between three, four and six, eight. Um, but and how do you, and so how do you yeah. teach it? Well, so I, teach it as it's the space between the backbeat um so you teach it as a drum set thing first not a pad thing correct yeah okay i mean well i I would teach time signatures first you know um as a pad thing um if i if i was going to but uh, yeah for the most part if i'm teaching six eight in a drum camp then we're probably doing it on the drum set and i'm i'm also trying to really just show them right away like Okay, you're familiar with this, you just don't know what it is. But you're totally familiar with this, you know? You know what this is, and you know how to play
0: it, so. You Um, know what I like to do, if I'm playing in 6-8, I like to play, you know, superimpose 3-4, keeping the subdivisions the same. You're just now playing the backbeats, but turn it actually into 6-4. Oh, yeah. It feels like you go into 4-4, because the backbeats aren't, you know, they stay straight you don't have to double the back yeah eight. you
1: don't have to do anything yeah yeah that's always a weird thing too like so six four for the drummers out there you would never know it was happening because you wouldn't know that anything started over unless somebody hit a crash cymbal. it's mm-hmm. when music does it you're kind of thinking like yeah this is four four what just happened why'd they start over <laughs> yeah but why is my head still working i'm still bobbing my head and everything's fine six four can be weird um yeah and i love when bands do like the songs in four four, but maybe the the f- uh, eighth bar of a phrase is in six four. So you get just a what I call a two for nothing, and they just add in. Oh yeah, right. One bar of six. So I have um, some song suggestions for you guys out there, just so you can hear the difference. Um, so for three four, check out "Dance into the Light" by Phil Collins. Check out "Man with the Movie Camera" by the Cinematic Orchestra, and uh, check out for a really cool one. Check out. I Saw God by Victor Wooten. There's some good metric modulation in there. It's Dorico Watson on drums. For 6.8, uh, if you guys are rock guys, check out The Kill by 30 Seconds to Mars. Obviously, Lights by Journey is a great one. And check out, if you want a really simple one to follow, check out Misunderstanding by Genesis. That gives you like the glad, doom, 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 doom scat, doom, doom. I mean, the, the straight six that we all think of. Mm. Uh, Lights by Journey does that as well. So uh, You had to pick a Journey song. Dude, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> they, I'm not even a fan. They were just good at what they did. It's and it, and it just, I just I tried to pick songs that uh, you know some people in my camps would go like, oh, I've heard that. It's like yeah, that's six.
0: The, um, this is actually something I wanted to ask you. When you pick songs to recommend for people to you know listen to, study, play along with, do mm-hmm. you focus on the recording quality just as much as the music that's being played? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, probably without knowing it, because I'm a recording quality. Because <laughs> um, all of those were like pristine modern. recordings. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would say a, pick a muddy water, you know, muddy waters record, but that's going to be so gnarly, you're not going to hear the the subdivisions exactly. very clearly. You know.
1: I'm a teacher, man. I've sat in these <laughs> rooms. I'm telling you, like I, there's nothing that <laughs> that drives me nuts more than when I see online educator guy. Teach something where I'm like, you've never taught a drum lesson in your life. I can tell you've never sat in a room with a nine-year-old trying to break that stuff down. <laughs> I know it because yeah. you would never teach it that way if you'd actually seen a human's eyes glaze over when you drop the heat on that explanation. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I need it to be. I mean,
0: lights. The drums are so upfront in the mix. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, the I mean, easier to the hear. Hell of it. I mean, I tend to uh, like. I mean, my favorite Zeppelin record to listen to is actually their last record because it's recorded so cleanly. That that was my yeah. favorite uh, record to listen to when I was really studying right. Led Zeppelin. Right, yeah, yeah. Because the yeah, earlier no, stuff I, I, was just grittier. It was just had some distortion. I couldn't hear all the ghost notes and all the stuff you want to yeah. hear when you're listening to a drummer. Totally. No, I agree, and uh, yeah, it's it's also the
1: reason why I still enjoy going to see jazz shows and stuff, uh, especially if they're living legends. I, when you get to be 10 feet away from a professional drummer or just a professional musician, you know? I mean, yeah. gosh, going and seeing Brantford play, it's like, I kind of want to know, do you breathe? I didn't hear any on the recording. <laughs> and then, like, it's like, you have to take some air in at some point, man. Uh, That's and so when true, you, yeah. When you're there and you can hear, like, everything. You can, you can, I mean, on that microphone, sometimes you can hear them, like, make contact with the reed when it first hits their mouth. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I think that there's no... There's no replacing that,
0: so yeah, I, I am a little bit of a recording snob. Well, i just—I not, was not criticizing. I, I was just curious if it, it helps when you're teaching something if you can for actually sure. hear all the noise. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> just say that sentence
1: again, and then the
0: answer is yes. Of course, it does. <laughs> but if I mean for me, it's like six eight. It's got to be Red House by Jimi Hendrix or something like that. You know? Yeah. But. No, I mean that's you.
1: You got to find something. I mean, I'm looking for the most clear example of. Let's listen to this three four song and then let's listen to this six eight song let's hear how massively different they are and we start there and then we blur the lines the other thing that i make my students do i'll put a song in six on. eight i'll put lights on by journey and then i make them play a three four beat over it and i'm like do you see how you keep landing flawlessly on the one but everything feels horrible oh yeah that's because you're you're mathematically right but you're so wrong (laughs) Which is, that's,
0: and, uh, that's the stuff that I love to mess with when I'm just improvising. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I'm sure your band loves
1: it. <laughs> like, oh, man. Actually, we this new Instagram thing where you're trying things out. Can you <laughs> not try it out in our band? That'd be great.
0: That'd when be we, awesome. we do, um, I do fire with, with one of the trios, and we always transition into manic depression. Oh, cool. It man. always goes right into a 3-4 thing, just well, by three, changing four? the subdivision. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and those are the songs that when they're played right, you know, uh, you don't know. I I think when an odd time signature is played right, you don't know that it's an odd time signature. Right. Um, I was just teaching on this clinic tour how I'm trying really hard with Man on the Moon to never hit you over the head with the fact that we're in seven or in nine or in five. It's not like, see how hard we made this? Then it's like, well, didn't we just ruin the whole point of music? <laughs> yeah. It's well, become I mean, now, yeah. it's become a different thing. It's become it's a street thing. ball, it's become a yeah. you know a sport. And and I think there is a place for it. You and I wouldn't know half the stuff we know if people weren't pushing that hard. Um yeah. so I guess I would yeah. say it's not wrong, it's that I'm a fan of the sting style of it, which is make a song or the even the Dave Matthews side. Make a song. If it happens to be odd, it happens to be on. But make the song for the song's sake. Yeah. Um I, I would never want to come to band practice and go like, hey Dean, cue Let's write something in 13 tonight. It just seems like I wouldn't mind that as a practice technique. Yeah, like, right. hey, let's improvise in 13 for 10 minutes, and then we'll get tonight started. That would be fine. But I, I don't want to um, do the whole, like, I bet we could play something harder than periphery. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> We're what we going to what are we meet them in the, in the streets? That never and the answer, ends by well. the way, is no, <laughs> you can't. Never
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you yes, lose. I guess it's different Different. Whatever kind of appeals to your aesthetic. I don't like. I do like to listen to, you know, advanced players play in a phrasing that I really have no idea what the hell they're doing. But oh, I but don't necessarily want to listen to a song that's just obviously complicated. That's the difference for me. I'd rather hear right. someone play in 4 4 and just mangle the phrasing to the point where I'm like, what yeah. the hell's going on? Versus. Here's this ridiculous tune that if you don't play it the same way every single time, no one's going to be able to finish it because it's so freaking complicated. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm 100% with you. <laughs> so we're going to talk All about right. odd times? Oh, yeah. Like, how What's would that? you put a backbeat in 5 8 versus 5 4? How about five, that? 5 8, I would say my favorite is
1: probably doing the Vinny thing where I'm playing 6 8 minus a note. So, so you do, one, do a group two, of three, three and four, group five, of two. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. One, yeah. two, three, one, two. Yeah. I like that. Um, because if I go four, four, one, let's see one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. It feels like it's just too short for me. The phrase just ends right when I got started. Mm. Um, so I'd say for me, if I had to do a fallback and let's just say for the sake of this argument, music is not a part of it because obviously we've already admitted that music would shape what I would play and what you would play. Yeah. Um, but if somebody said, give me a cool little groove in 5, I'd probably
0: do the 6-8 minus an 8th note. What about you? Probably that. Now that, that when you sang it, I'm like, yeah, it just sounds like the, if you do 2-3, it's just front heavy. Everything is up in the front of right. the measure. Whereas yeah. it's, I think it's better to let it breathe in, in the front half. and then So you play a 3-2. That's probably what I would do naturally. 5-4, I don't know what. I would probably. I do
1: 2-4 and sometimes 5. So one two three four. Five, one. You two, add an extra backbeat, four. Yeah, or or the five is the improvisation. Boom, can uh, boom, can to boom, can't, okay, can't to You know, oh, I think I was just singing in four. Yeah, boom. <laughs> three, four, five, and a one, two, three, four. That's why it felt so good, isn't that like, the case, man? It's like, <laughs> dude, nine eight's not hard. It's like that's oh, because you're playing in four four. <laughs> Oh, my bad uh, But yeah, I'd use <laughs> five for the improvisation
0: oh, good. How was your week, Mike? Uh.
1: <laughs> Not busy at all, man I'm clear-headed, ready to go